Well, it's uh, wonderful to welcome you again to our Graceway Baptist Church Sunday School lesson. Thank you for taking the time to tune in. And for those of you who are teaching, uh, as always, we appreciate you. And we also were praying for you that you and your class will grow and be enriched and that uh, the Lord will truly bless you and manifest his presence with you as you gather on Sunday morning. This is the lesson for February 27th of 2022. Uh, good night. I was just thinking I started recording these Sunday school lessons in uh, probably July or so of 1996. So we've done a lot of these and um, we do them now on video so that uh, we can put these and make the, these available for people who have to miss Sunday school so that they can tune in and keep up with everything. And so we appreciate uh, Gary and everybody who helps us uh, get all this done. And we appreciate you for uh, taking the time to look at it. So this again is a Sunday school lesson for February 27th of 2022. And we are just about finished with the New City Catechism. We had 52 questions and answers. That's a year's worth. And um, we are, well, we've got one more that we'll do because of bad weather. We had to scoot everything in February up a week. So uh, we'll finish up the first Sunday in March. And um, whenever I think of March, my mind always goes to spring. But uh, as you know, here in Oklahoma, that doesn't always happen. It's kind of a pretend spring, isn't it? We can have some pretty good snows and cold weather in March. But um, anyway, it just means the year is going on. Life is going on. And before long, the weather will be uh, hot again and the sun won't be going down until nine o'clock. And it's just another reminder that God controls and ordains the seasons. And uh, he is so faithful and so consistent. And we see his handiwork all around us. The heavens indeed do declare the glory of God. But as we get to our question and our answer this week, this is um, an aspect of the Lord's life and ministry that I think kind of gets um, maybe overlooked or if not overlooked, uh, taken for granted. When Jesus died and was buried and arose from the dead, then 40 days later, you remember in the first part of the book of Acts, he ascended into heaven and the disciples are watching him. And remember those angels come and say, why do you gaze up into heaven? Because uh, this same Jesus is going to return in the manner in which he went up. And we're looking for his return, aren't we? But have you ever thought about what the ascension of Jesus Christ means to you in your life and in the life of uh, the Lord's church. And I would uh, be surprised if very many people gave much thought to that at all. It's just a part of the story. Jesus was born, born in a manger. We get that and we move on to his life and his miracles and his death and his resurrection. And then, of course, he ascended and we don't give it much more thought than that. Well, we're going to try to do that by answering the question of what advantage to us is Christ's ascension? Of what advantage to us is Christ's ascension? And we want to um, take this answer and we want 
to think about it. So you've got it uh, printed out for you. So take some time to uh, meditate a little bit on this. Christ physically ascended on our behalf. Have you ever thought about that? Just as he came down to earth physically on our account or for us, and he is now advocating for us in the presence of his father, preparing a place for us and sends us his spirit. Now let's uh, just think about those kind of things. What is he doing now that he has ascended, advocating for us? You and I have to be defended. Why? We are sinners and we don't always live faithfully up to the word of God. We don't faithfully live up to what we know. And that's why in 1 John chapter 1, it tells us that if we say we have no sin, we're liars. Okay, might ought to think about that. And then the uh, next thing it says is, but if we confess our sins, and the confess there in the Greek is homo legeo, agreeing with God about our sin, not just admitting them, but agreeing with God about them and how horrible they are. Then it also, uh, that word confess is in a continuous tense. If we are the, we might say the confessing ones, we are continually confessing our sins, then what is he doing? He is continually forgiving us and cleansing us from all unrighteousness because, of course, he knows about the sin long before we do, and Jesus paid for that sin on the cross. He just wants us to be conscious of it and to confess it and to be cleansed from it because uh, sin always has that effect of dirtying us up, messing with our mind, and um, ruining our testimony, doesn't it? And so the Lord Jesus, whenever the accuser of the brethren, the devil, whenever he makes an accusation against you, and believe me, he does, what happens? Well, Jesus stands up for you and he defends you. Some people have said that being an advocate is kind of like having a lawyer, an attorney in heaven. Jesus is pleading your case and your cause based on his death for your sins, his payment for your sins. That's a, that's a neat thing to think about the fact that he doesn't abandon you. He stands up for you and stands with you before the presence of the Father. Isn't that great? And then um, the answer in the catechism says he is not only advocating, but he is also preparing a place for us. You remember in John chapter 14, Jesus said, uh, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, that famous passage. And he says that in my father's house are many mansions and I go to prepare a place for you. Can you imagine what the room is like, what the place is like that Jesus has prepared for you? You may be one of those people that whenever you have company over, you want everything to be just right for them. And you have a room for them to stay in and you have clean sheets on the bed. The bed is made. Everything looks nice in there. It smells good. The carpet's been vacuumed. It's been dusted. And um, there's appropriate and beautiful decor on the walls and around it so that the guest who comes into your house is going to feel at home and they're going to have peace and they're going to rest well. 
Well, if you would do that for somebody who is just going to be a guest, what do you think the Lord Jesus is doing for you in the place he has prepared for you, that place where you are going to not just be a guest, not a house guest, but a part of the family where you are going to live with him forever. And so that's what is happening now. It's preparing for you. They'll never have a time where a believer like you or like me passes away and an angel goes, oh, we didn't see that one coming. And the Lord goes, wait a minute, we're not quite ready for you yet. Have you ever been on a vacation and you come to your uh, motel and you go in and say, okay, I had reservations for today. And they go, oh, uh, your room's not ready yet. And they tell you it'll be two hours before it's ready. And you don't have a room. You don't have any place to go to. So you awkwardly sit in the lobby or you ran an errand or something like that. Uh, that'll never happen to anybody going to heaven. The Bible says that precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And uh, combining that with John chapter 14, it tells us that the timing of our death is known to the Lord, planned sovereignly by the Lord, and that everything is going to be ready whenever it is our time to come to heaven. And when we go to heaven, we'll be just as welcome there as Christ is, because we indeed are in him and he is in us. And so Jesus is preparing a place for us. That's what John 14 says. I go to prepare a place for you. Heaven is being made ready for you. And then it also says here that he sends us his spirit. And you remember that uh, Jesus told the disciples, basically, I'm paraphrasing here, he said, I know you're sorry and kind of depressed that I'm going to have to leave, but I'm telling you it's better for you that I go. Why is it better that I go? Because if I don't go, I cannot send the helper. And that is another title of the Holy Spirit, helper, the comforter. Um, and he lives within each one of us and is always with us everywhere we go and is with every one of us everywhere we go and uh, doing the work and the ministry that he does, giving us his presence, giving us his power to be witnesses, Acts 1.8, and also giving us spiritual gifts and providing the spiritual gifts of other people as well. It's not just about do you have a gift, it's about the fact that God has given other people gifts so that we can all work together. They can minister to us. We can minister to them. And we stand together united for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ as one body in Christ. And so that's uh, kind of the answer there in a nutshell. Let's go a little bit deeper and let's look at some scripture. In Romans chapter 8, verse 34, it says, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, and we would be uh, not very surprised if he stopped right there, wouldn't we? Who's going to condemn us? Christ died for us. But he doesn't. He's, he ties it together. Notice in this, who died more than that, who was raised, because the crucifixion really wouldn't mean anything without the resurrection. And then he goes right into what? What we're talking about, the ascension who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. You know, uh, you feel the times when you need to pray. 
and you do so, and it helps you. You feel the times that you need other people to pray for you, and so you ask a prayer partner or two, and they pray for you. Sometimes it might even be appropriate to ask the entire church to pray for you. But with all of that and as good as that is, there's something far, far better. The Son of God himself is in heaven praying for you. He knows the trials you're going to face before you even know anything about them. And he's praying for you. You remember when he told Peter, you're going to deny me. And Satan has desired you to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. Well, Peter had no idea this was going to happen. In fact, he tried to uh, dispute with the Lord about it. I won't deny you. And yet the Lord knew before it ever came. Did you know that God knows your problems? He knows your trials. He knows your storms. He knows your failure. He knows all of those things before they ever happen. And he is praying for you before they ever happen. He is praying for you while you're in the midst of that, when you're under intense warfare, when you're under intense temptation, when you're going through storms of sorrow and grief and all of that, he's praying for you while you're in the midst of those things. That's why Christians tend to handle these things better than lost people do. And he's praying for you in the aftermath of it. Sometimes you may go through the storm and it's the aftermath that really trips you up, that really gets you. I've seen in my life where there were times when I was going through the storm that I did pretty well. It was after the storm that I fell apart. There were times when uh, my parents were ill and going through the, uh, the sickness and the situations that would lead to their death. And uh, during that time, I was so busy helping my dad take care of my mom that I didn't do much grieving at that particular point. Even after she passed, I was busy helping dad take care of all of the funeral arrangements and the cemetery and all of that kind of stuff. And you kind of lose yourself in that and lose yourself in, uh, I lost myself in helping him. And uh, then I remember later on, that was in March of 2001. Uh, I believe it was that same year in uh, October that Taylor got his driver's license. And I remember as he was pulling out of the driveway for the first time as a fully licensed driver driving by himself, just this thought came out of nowhere. Mom would have loved this. And I lost it. I lost it. I think I grieved more after she died than I did during the time that uh, she was dying and when she actually did pass. And um, I think the same thing when my dad died a few years ago. I was so busy taking care of his estate and all of the things that needed to be done. I don't think I really did much grieving until afterward. And afterward is when you feel the loneliness. Afterward, those times, some of you know this, you get ready to pick up the phone to call them, and then you realize they're not here anymore. Uh, I was thinking the other day there was something that happened, and I uh, reached over for my phone. I was in the car thinking, I need to call Brother Steve Elkins and tell him about this. It was something funny. And then it hit me that uh, I don't have that capability anymore. And so the Lord prays for you when you come out of those things, when you're scarred, wounded, bruised, hurt, you're limping along. 
and uh, you're battle-weary and, and tired, and he is praying for you during all of that. That's what the ascension means for us. It's all a part of the story of redemption. Now, I want you to turn in your Bibles, please, to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. I'm going to read out of the English Standard Version. It says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, that means the ascension, going to heaven, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, in saying that he ascended, what does that mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. And he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, that's the, the Greek word there is poimen, pastors, and teachers, to equip the saints, that's you, every believer is a saint, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. You know, a lot of people are surprised to think that you didn't hire me or Brother Dale or uh, Isaac to do the work of the ministry. What you hired us for biblically is that we might be engaged in equipping you to do the work of ministry. You know, when you get one person, you can only do what one person is capable of doing. But let's say you have 10 people that are in your church and they're equipped and they're all working together in it, then you can do the work of 10 men. Charles Spurgeon said, I would rather, I'd rather teach 10 men to do the work than to do the work of 10 men. And a lot of churches are in trouble because one person is everything to the church and the church hasn't learned how to minister. And so Ephesians chapter 4, verses um, 11 and 12, I believe it is, say that the reason God gives apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers to the church is so that the church might then minister to itself, do the work of ministry, as well as carry out the gospel. And so instead of having one person going out and trying to share with the entire world, we've got all of us going out. And if every church would do that, then we would be so much more um, effective, wouldn't we? And so this is all tied into the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. So number one, consider this, the ascension is part of redemption. This is the part of, of God's plan. When you go back to uh, this passage out of Ephesians and you look at verse seven, the ver first two words ought to get your attention, but grace, but grace. The next two are wonderful too. Grace was given. And notice how this is tied in with the eternal purpose of God and the sacrifice of Christ. This is part of the redemption plan. Now, we've talked about this before. God did not uh, simply say to Jesus on the night that he was born, okay, step down off of the throne and get down to a manger in Bethlehem. You're about to be born. He had stepped down nine months earlier, right? 
into the womb of Mary because life begins at conception. And so he emptied himself, not of being God, but of all of the rights and privileges that he had. And he goes into the womb of a virgin and he lives there for nine months. Say, oh, poor Jesus. No, no, that was part of the plan. Then when Jesus is born, there's no room in the inn because of the taxation and everyone having to go to their ancestral homeland. And so, uh, and, and by the way, when Joseph is there in Bethlehem, that's his ancestral city. He's probably related to most of the people in the little town of Bethlehem, might have even been related to the innkeeper. And the reason the innkeeper didn't just throw him out into the streets, but said, hey, I don't have any room in the inn, but I've got a stable here. You can stay in that. It might have been because that person was a relative. And when Jesus is born and laid in a manger, we all, oh, poor Jesus. What? Nope, nope, that's part of the plan. And so we've got to keep all of this in mind that the entire life of Christ, all the way through to his crucifixion, burial and resurrection, and the ascension of Christ, it's all a part of the package, the plan of redemption. And without the ascension, there are so many things that we don't have. And this is all by grace. Grace is given not to just some believers, but to every believer. And it's based upon not our faith or not our importance in the body, because we're all equally important in the body, aren't we? And it's given because of what Christ has done for us. Now, the word gift there in the Greek is dorea, and uh, sometimes Dorian, depending on the form it's used. And um, Mr. Westcott, in his uh, lexicon, he defines it like this, Dorea, the gift. Always a gift freely given by God to bring the believer bounty, honor, or privilege. And you think about what Christ has done for us and how as he ascended to the right hand of God the Father, we too have spiritually been elevated and we are seated with him, Ephesians 1 says, in heavenly places in Christ. The ascension involves us, it is for us, and it certainly involves us. It's by grace and it's a part of our redemption. Number two, the ascension was a victory celebration. And that's why the passage tells us about uh, him ascending on high with a host of captives and giving gifts to men and all of that. What in the world is that talking about? Well, back in the days when Paul lived, the Romans dominated the known world. And when the Romans would go and they would maybe put down a rebellion, maybe... Um, somebody, uh, a foreign country, had captured some Roman citizens and holding them hostage, holding them captive, kind of like our Iran uh, hostage crisis back in the late 70s. And what would Rome do? Well, they would respond and they would go over and they would fight and uh, war against that uh, city or that nation, as the case may be. And then when they conquered it, they would head back to Rome. And when they got back to Rome, they would have a victory parade for this general, this Roman general who led the successful campaign. And in that, the general would be on his chariot, his officers would be on their chariot, and the fighting men would be 
behind them, rank and file, marching in. Oh, it was impressive. But they also had other people there, people that they had captured, people that they were bringing back to be slaves, people that were POWs, people that maybe the king of the other nation that they had conquered, maybe the officers of their army, they're handcuffed, they're chained to those chariots, and they're being brought along. And then they would also have, maybe if they attacked a place with a lot of grain, they would bring that grain back and they would give a gift to Caesar and they would give gifts to the officers and the men of the army and whatever was left then of the spoils of battle they would share with the citizens of Rome. And maybe there is just this in incredible windfall of grain or maybe gold or silk or something like that. They would bring those gifts back. You see the imagery? Christ is ascended and when he ascends, he is taking the saints, the Old Testament believers, out of Abraham's bosom that's referred to in Luke 16. And where is he taking them? He's taking them to heaven. They're welcome in heaven now because Christ has paid the punishment, the penalty for sin. And he's leading captivity captive. They're free now and they're going into heaven. He also was doing this as a victory celebration. Can you imagine what that was like as he got close to those pearly gates? And can you imagine the cry and the shout of joy and of victory and the music and the celebration when those gates are opened and the king of glory comes in? Can you imagine what that is like? But remember also it says he gave gifts to men when he did that. Jesus sets down at the right hand of God the Father and then says, Father, would you send the Holy Spirit now to my people and your people who are on the earth? And when the Spirit comes to them, I want these gifts to be given to them. And we share in the spoils of battle as we are given these spiritual gifts. And he lists several of these ministry gifts here, apostles, we thank God for the apostles. That's why we have the New Testament. And we continue steadfastly, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, in the apostles' doctrine. We have the prophets who were the ones who confronted sin and the Holy Spirit is still confronting sin in our lives and in the life of the church. And then there are pastors. There are those who shepherd the church. And I think... Pastor and teacher really ought to be combined here that the title is a pastor teacher, a shepherd teacher, because we teach and we preach the word of God. And that equips believers, all of us, the congregation, to do the works of ministry, not to watch it to be done, not just to support it as it's being done, not simply to pay for it as it's being done, but to participate in it. And so God never intended for the church and the members of the church simply to be spectators, simply to be bystanders, simply to be uh, the watchers in an audience. Show us what you're doing. We are to work together to carry out the work of ministry. And you'll notice the last phrase in those verses say, in building up the body of Christ. You know, so many times today we talk about somebody and we say that pastor so-and-so, oh boy, he knows how to build a church. Well, it's not the pastor's job to build a church according to this. The church is built, Jesus said to Peter in Matthew 16, upon this rock I will build 
my church. We don't need to be competing with the Lord. The Bible also talks about us being a body and supplying that which every joint needs for the building up of the body. It's the work of the Holy Spirit through us that we build each other up. And as we build each other up, what happens? We reproduce. We lead other people to Christ. We make disciples. All of those things are supposed to be happening. Now, when it talks here about the Lord descending and Peter's epistle talks about him descending into hell, some people mistakenly believe that that is going and giving souls that are damned in hell a second chance. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. There are no second chances in hell. This is not evangelizing the devil or anything like that. Other people like Kenneth Copeland and Benny Hinn and people like that teach that Jesus, when he became sin on the cross, he necessarily had to go to hell as a sinner. And while he was there, he was tormented, tormented as a sinner. But the devil forgot that he had not actually sinned. He just became sin. And that was the loophole. And the father was able to rescue him out of hell because of that. Well, that's nowhere taught in the Bible. In fact, what happened is Jesus went into hell to declare his victory over the devil, over the demons of hell, and to take the keys of death, hell, and the grave. That's why in Revelation chapter 1, verse 17, it says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Now listen to this. And I have the keys of death and Hades. I think that's when he took them. I think he went and proclaimed or preached victory to them and that they were defeated and then he took the keys and they belonged to him. And that fits with Hebrews uh, 2, 14 and 15. The writer of Hebrews says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same, of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. How does the devil enslave those who are lost? The fear of death is what the Bible says. And what they don't know is that God has already defeated the devil and that our Lord holds the keys. Hallelujah and amen for that. Number three, the ascension sent the spirit and his gifts. And right there tied in with it. And he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, uh, the shepherds and the teachers. And so the ascension was necessary for the spirit to come. That's why Jesus said, it's better for you that I go. And the coming of the spirit brought our spiritual gifts and our callings. And so uh, these men that are listed are given as gifts to the church. You may want your money back. What do you think about me being a gift to the church? But I didn't say it. That's what the Bible says. And uh, that's what we see in the entire book of Acts, the operation of these ministry gifts in the building and the formation of the early church and its doctrine and its faith and its belief and all of that written down for us in the inerrant, infallible, eternal, all-sufficient word of God given to us. And that's why we follow it.
And number four, the ascension brings the believer, pardon me, equips the believer. How can I do what I do? How do you do what you do? How do we do what we are to do? It's a formidable job. We've got the enemy against us, the world against us. We even fight our own flesh. How in the world are we going to do this? And the writer well, Paul says that these gifts are given, these men are given to equip the saints, the congregation for what? For the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, equipping the saints. The reason you come to church, the reason you ought to come to church, the reason you ought to be in Sunday school is so that you can be equipped. And so many people today, even Christians are saying, I just wasn't ready for all of that. Well, sometimes when you see somebody who says that, they're also church skippers too. And many times I've counseled with somebody who came to see me about a problem in their life and uh, I had just preached on that, but they weren't there. We had just had a Sunday school lesson on that, but they didn't think it was worth their time to come to that. That's a dangerous thing because these gifts are given by the Christ who died, buried, and rose from the dead and ascended so that you might be equipped for the building up of the body of Christ. If you're a sporadic attender, if you are hit and miss on all of that, if you don't pay attention when you're here, you're not going to be equipped for facing your own problems. And even worse, you know what saddens me? You're not going to be ready to help anybody else because you don't know what God has said because you weren't there when he was saying it. That's why we're told not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but it's more than just attending church. We've got to learn. We've got to take in the word of God, and then we've got to get it out as we minister. And the Lord just doesn't want to minister to us. He wants to minister through us. And uh, this is all done by the death, burial, resurrection, and the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. The work of ministry to be done by members equipped by the Holy Spirit to build up the church. And so um, we want the church to grow. We want it to be built up spiritually as well as in every other way. And how does that happen? That's our job. I say our because I'm included in it. That's not just my job. It's not just someone's job. This is our job to do that in various ways, various situations, but it all results in Christ being glorified through the building of his church. So how are you doing in that? Are you seeing fruit as God uses you to build the church? And so we conclude by saying this, the ascension is probably one of the more ignored doctrines in the Bible. But as you can see, it is extremely important and in addition, the ascended Christ prays for us, defends us, prepares a place for us, and will one day return again for us. And that is something to be considered because you do not know how long you have to serve the Lord. Don't waste your time. Don't waste your life. Don't even waste your problems. There's a purpose in all of that. Use it for the glory of God, because in heaven you'll be glad you did and you will, have, you will wish that you had done even more for his glory. So what does the ascension do for us? Now you know. 
and now you have a better idea. And so with that, we'll conclude by saying, God bless you and uh, may this enrich your life to know what the Lord is now doing at the right hand of God the Father out of his great love for you. Now, return that love to him for his glory and for his honor. God bless you. We'll see you next week. And uh, I pray that all is going well with you. And I thank you so much for your prayers for me.